All right. Good morning, everyone. So good to see you here. Uh, Listen, uh, as Josh mentioned, uh, welcome, and you could be any place else. You could be at home, but you came through the rain, and we appreciate you coming here. Uh, is this your first time here, or maybe your first time back in a long time? Uh, what we're about here at Grace Point is just trying to help you walk with God, trying to help you wherever you are. Uh, we're all on kind of a spiritual pilgrimage, something I try to say every, every week, really. We're in different places, uh, different different times of our life, different you know ages, whether we're young or old. But God is calling us, no matter where we are, to take whatever that spiritual next step is closer to Him. And so, for some people, that means hearing about who Jesus is, and for the very first time, deciding to follow Him as Savior. Uh, for some people, you've been doing this for a long time, but there may be a next step that you haven't done. And so, that's really what we what we're all about every Sunday morning. And so, ultimately, just I tell you you up front, my goal um, and all that we do is just simply to inspire you to follow Jesus. That's really what we are as a church. I think that that's what every church ought to do and ought to uh, attempt every week. But, um, but I'm so glad to have you here today. Today we are uh, back in Romans chapter 16. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up there. If you don't have one, feel free to borrow one of ours in the rack in front of you. I'm going to have the, uh, the scripture up there uh, on the slides. I'm actually feeling a little bit under the weather. Uh, how many of you right now are in some way, shape, or form sick? Raise your hand. All right, every, okay, everybody move to the other side of the room, right? No, I mean, so, some of you, yes. Yeah, so, was it you, Ryan, who said twisted? Yeah, sick. Did you raise your hand? All right. You're less than honest then, because you mentioned it, but you didn't raise your hand. Yeah. Anyway, so sorry for those of you who are online. We we have a lot of inside jokes going on here today. Uh, well, anyway, um, I, I got a picture here that, that represents a, a movie that that I kind of talk about, you know, from from time to time. Um, big fans of Lord of the Rings. It's funny. I, I see my wife sometimes. She's sitting and she's like, if she wants to see something that she knows is going to be, I don't know. Comforting. I don't know if it's comforting, but but she'll she'll kind of turn that on because she knows she can put watch a little bit and stop or whatever. But I, I watch that from time to time, and and it's sort of been symbolic, really, of of companionship, unity in times of um, in times of trial. In times of extreme circumstances, what you've got in the, in the story of, of the Lord of the Rings, um, specifically, this is a scene from the very last of the movies. So there's three movies. Each one's like three hours long. Right. And this is a scene from the third movie, The Return of the King. And, and these four guys, these four hobbits, they've been on just a, a journey. Um, you could call it an adventure, an epic adventure. But it's basically to, to save the world from destruction in a sense. And here are these guys, they come back. They come back home to their, their local place where everybody kind of comes in the evenings, where everybody's friends and all that. And they sit down. And they've been gone for about a year and nobody has any idea what they've gone through. No, they, they know their names. Uh, they kind of know who they are. But, but nobody realizes that that whole community, they owe their lives to these four guys. Um, I would say where we're about to read in Romans chapter 16 is a little bit like this. And I'm not saying that we owe our lives 
to the people we're going to read about, but we're going to read a list of names. All right. We're going to, and a lot of times you, you get to sections of scripture, you know, and you're reading through the book of numbers and you read through names and, and, and I, I'm just as guilty as you guys. Sometimes if you read that, you just kind of flip the page. Okay. Lots and lots of names and so-and-so be at so-and-so. Well, here at the end of the book of Romans or near the end, the apostle Paul, he, he gives a, a list of people. People that he loves, people that he appreciates, and we just see their names. And all of these people, they they have died. And so, in a sense, what these things are really—they're they're kind of like epitaphs on, on a grave. And, and in Romans chapter fifteen, Paul wanted to stop on his way to Spain. He tells everybody, man, I really, I'm looking forward to going all the way from, from Jerusalem all the way over to Spain to take the word of God, the message of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, his resurrection, and tell it to people there. But I want to stop in Rome. I've, I've never been there. And he wants to just greet the church in Rome. And there are a number of people that he sees there or that he knew there in Rome. And he's looking forward to to seeing them soon. And he he writes about this a number of times. And so this letter that, that we call Romans, right, it's like 16 chapters long. And it's part of a New Testament book. It's really written to three different groups of people. It's written to, um, in one way, to, to people in Rome who they're not Christians, they, they don't know who Paul is. They don't know who Jesus is. But, he, but this letter is written to people in Rome who one day they would hear about Jesus. They would put their faith in Jesus Christ and they could read this letter and learn what it means when you have faith in Jesus Christ. All that is that is packed into that truth. Um, they would learn that Christianity is not just a code of conduct. It's not just a list of right and wrong. And this is you're supposed to do this. Don't do this. Do this. Don't do this. It's a new way of living because everything has changed because of what Jesus Christ did in his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead. So so it's written to those people who are they're not Christians yet. But but in a second way, God also intended this letter to go much further than um, just the church in Rome in 60 A.D. in the first century. He intended it to go throughout the world to the uttermost parts of, of, of the earth to, to reach people like um, Gene Dean in California, who would one day take this and pass it on to her daughter, Sandra Darlene, and who would eventually pass on a copy to Kyle Corinne in Dillon, Colorado. See, you see God's plan. He, he says so. His plan was to take the message to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, if you're living in Jerusalem at the time and you're thinking about the uttermost parts of the earth, you know what comes to mind? Binghamton, New York. (laughs) This is where we are. We are the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm I'm just telling you. But we often forget that, that while we think that this letter to Romans, we've spent a lot of time in it. I've spent a lot of time studying it. But we forget that there's a personal aspect to this book. Paul wrote to friends. He wrote to people that, that he knew, believers in Christ that he'd met over the years. Some of these people, he was the one who led them to faith in Christ. For the very first time, their eyes are open and they have a relationship with God. Some of them were Jewish like him. Some of them were Gentiles. And, and all of these people, he's, he's talking to them. And what they have is this commonality in Jesus Christ. 
And he'd never been to Rome. And yet he knows all kinds of people who, who live there. And, and for most of these people, the, the details of their lives, they're unknown. Like I said, it's like you're walking through a cemetery and you see a gravestone. And it says on, on the gravestone, Mark. And it says the date and the date and that's all you get. And really, that's the representation of a life. Well, we're going to see some of these things here today. But what this teaches us is that Paul is a real man writing to real people. And it gives us a real, a precious window into the early lives of, well, the lives of the people in the early church. So it's a picture of really how the church ought to be in some ways today. If you think about it, I think our church is, a, is, is an all right representation, but but ethnically. OK, some people use the term race. I tend to think I mean, I think scripture teaches that we're all of one race, the human race. But ethnicity, you've got people who are different ethnicities, the, the, the Jewish people, the Gentile people, Gentiles from all over the place. In, in this church, you've got different classes of people, if you want to talk about that. Um. Some of the names, they're pro- they probably of a royal class, if you will. Okay, they had royalty or high class. Uh, Aristobulus or, or Narcissus, they're, they're both of head of household of estates. Okay, not just a small home, but, but just massive estates. And then you got guys named um, Ampliatus and Urbanus and Hermes and, and Phil- Philologos and Julia. And, and these are common names for slaves. Paul writes to the people in the upper crust and he writes to the people who are um, even slaves of the time. And they are all one in Christ. He, he, he writes to both genders. He's, he pulls out eight or nine women and highlights them and all that they have done. Singles them out saying that they have worked very hard. It wasn't just a, a, a male-centric church, but it was male and female together. Um, both influential in the ministry of the early church. So as we look through this, we're going to look through a lot of names. And I've, I've actually listened to a number of sermons um, on these things and read through it. And what people tend to do is they, what, what we know is that names mean things, right? But you've got to remember a few things. Um, obviously, in Scripture, what I've told uh, our young adults that meet Sunday night, listen, when you see a name, it, it does mean something, especially when God calls that name out or changes a person's name. That's, that's a big deal. There's meaning with it. So Abram was his name, but God changed his name to Abraham, meaning a father of a multitude or a father of nations. That's exactly what Abraham became. And so obviously you want to pay attention to that name. Um, when Mary and when Joseph were told about um, Jesus, they said, uh, the angel says, you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. Uh, Jesus just simply means Yahweh saves. So, so obviously there's meaning in this name. Now, when some of you who have children here, you named your children, it's because it means something to you. But it doesn't necessarily define who your children will be, right? Because you can name them, you know, oh, glorious, majestic, intelligent one. And, you know, you see them as a teenager, you know, that that's never going to work, you know. Um, but it's funny. I've known people who have named their children after cities. Um, Savannah, 
Austin, Dylan, and, and talking with them. And then, and then the funny thing is I find out that they, their plan was that they would name their child after the place where they were conceived. That's why they've got those names. And I, it just kind of hit me as I was thinking through this. Can you imagine having this as your plan for naming children and you just like stuck in Binghamton all your life? Like, you know, you got the one child after the next. It reminds me of the old uh, Bob Newhart show. Uh, Hi, my name is Larry. This is my brother, Daryl. This is my other brother, Daryl. You know, uh, my brother, Binghamton. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> Sorry. But what this does is this gives you an idea that, that the names, they actually highlight maybe what the parents had in mind when they named their children and maybe where they're from. So Romans 16:1, he starts off. I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centria, that you may receive her in the Lord and in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. So the very first person we meet is Phoebe. Her name means um, bright or, or radiant, but it was one of the honorary titles of the goddess of Diana. It was also a name, it's sort of the feminine name for uh, Phoebos, which was given to the god Apollo. So you see a little bit of a background to maybe what these parents were thinking when they named the, their daughter. She's, she's got a pagan name, and so her parents probably worshipped the Greek gods. So, so Phoebe's name, I think, is just very ironic, because she is the one that carried the letter from Paul in Corinth and brought it all the way to Rome. She's the bringer of light to a dark city. See, Phoebe's from Centria. Centria is one of the um, two seaports uh, in, in Corinth. It's not really far from the city of Corinth where we get the, our book Corinthians, which makes sense because this is where Paul likely was when, when he wrote this letter. And when Paul commends Phoebe, our sister, to them and tells them, I want you to receive her the reason why is because she's the one who journeyed to Rome. She, she's journeying to Rome on her own account to deliver this letter in, in, to the Romans. That you can just imagine that she has this scroll. And I don't know where, is, is it tucked in her sleeve? Is it there, you know, right there, just like within her robe? Or is it packed away? I mean, it, it's interesting. This, this little letter that we have, that we read it, and it's so precious to us, it was given to this woman to journey all the way uh, over to the, the Romans. And it says that they, uh, the Christians who were there, they were called to receive her. And whenever somebody's called to receive another person, usually it's receive one another. It's referring to, to Christians who, who, like, they've been traveling. And so the, the, you write a letter saying, here, here's another believer. Receive them. Treat them the way that you would treat me. And, and that's really what, what Paul's kind of saying. He's commending her as a sister. He calls her a servant of the church. And he says, she has been a great help to many. Um, actually, when it says the great help to many, that's one Greek word, uh, which often it means um, a benefactress. The idea is she's probably a businesswoman. And she's probably just using her skills, whatever her business is, to support the, the church. 
um, and, and to support many people. It's interesting because here, here's this woman who's taking this letter. It wasn't safe for women to, to journey alone. It doesn't mention that she's got a husband. So, so this kind of leads us to, to some, some details that we think, well, she might be traveling to Rome on other business. She probably is kind of like um, Lydia, if you've ever read the book of Acts. Lydia was a seller of purple. She was a businesswoman. And, and because she had wealth and she had a home, she would bring people into her church there in, in Philippi. This woman does basically the same kind of a thing. Something that's interesting, though, is that she's called a servant, this is the, uh, the Greek word diakonia, or diakonia, which can be translated in a couple different ways in the New Testament. It can be often translated um, as ministry or service, a person who is serving or they're involved in ministry. But in the right context, it also can refer to a specific office in the church, meaning a deacon. Or here the feminine form is a deaconess, right? And so when a person fits into this, uh, this role or this office of a deacon, what it means is that this person is recognized, um, if it's a deacon, as a man who works alongside the elders, and they, they serve. They serve the needs of the church. What does the church need? I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready to, to get involved. What do we need? Do we need something, some work done? We need, does somebody need help? Does somebody need a meal? Does somebody just need some, some care? And so they recognize and they follow through in the needs of the church. We have a, a deaconess um, group here at Grace Point, And they're known as godly women who, who serve. That's, that's their role. I mean, they have a good time doing it. But their role is to serve and they see, oh, here's a family in need. Can we cook something? Can we bring that to them? Uh, is there somebody who's grieving? Can we send them flowers? Can we just spend time with them? But they're servants of the church. Now, here in this context, there's no way to really know um, if this is referring to a specific office. Because it's always the context that tells you about these things. Just because there's a Greek word there doesn't mean, oh, that means this. You really have to read the entire context. So there's not enough to, to really be decisive. So it's probably best to just remember that Phoebe is a woman who she's prominent. She's recognized for her work in helping other people in the church. Because Paul, Paul wasn't writing here to try to like, you know, flesh out, you know, some sort of a position on church offices or doctrines. He's just writing and saying, listen, I care about these people. I care about Phoebe. And what I care about is that you, church in Rome, take care of her the way that you would take care of me. I mentioned that I'm going to come try to go to Spain. I'm going to stop with you. And I hope that you would take care of me. Take care of her in the exact same way that you would take care of me one day when I come. And then he writes, and he goes on, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own lives, or risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also to all the churches of the Gentiles. And likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Now, Priscilla and Aquila, they're probably the most popular out of, out of everybody on, on the list. Uh, they're mentioned six different places in the New Testament. Aquila was a tent maker. Just like Paul and, and, and Priscilla and Aquila, their homes were in Rome. But in AD 49, when Claudius, Claudius was the emperor, he basically set out a decree to expel all Jews from Rome. No Jews. No, no, at that time, there were not many believers in Christ. It was, it was a little early on, but they were all forced to leave Rome. And if they didn't, that was under penalty of, of death. And so they left. 
And where God led them was to the city of Corinth, where they providentially meet Paul. And Paul is a tent maker, um, you know, Aquila is a tent maker, and they stay with Paul for years. As a matter of fact, Paul leaves Corinth and he goes to Ephesus and he needs some more mature Christians to help guide the church. And so Priscilla and Aquila are there and, and they have a house and they set their house as a meeting place for the church. They have a house church. This is very different back then. Today, we've got a building. We've all kind of put pool together and we build a church where we can come and we can meet together. But this is just their house. And this is like what's represented really with our smaller Bible studies where we say, hey, let's just meet in people's homes. Let's talk about the word of God. Let's encourage one another. Let's pray together. And this is what they do. So they do that in, in Corinth. They do that in Ephesus. And then in AD 54, Claudius, uh, poor Claudius was murdered by his wife. And so that means that it's everybody can come back to Rome because he's not saying and nobody's saying, no, nah, we're, we're banishing the Jews anymore. And so Aquila and Priscilla, they they they're free to return back to where their home was in Rome and they set up their their house there. And this also might be another reason why Paul uh, decided he says, I'm eager to go to Rome now because the, the borders are open, if you will. That's open to the city. People had been forbidden to follow Christ. People had been forbidden who were of the Jewish um, ethnicity, and, and now it's open. But it says about these two, the Aquila Priscilla, that they risked their lives or risked their necks for him. That meant the idea of, you know, getting their head chopped off. That's really what this means, that a number of times they could have died because of their association and because of their help for, for Paul. And we don't know how they did that, but wherever they were, they always provided a place for the church to thrive. It says uh, next, it says, greet my beloved Epinatus, who is the first fruits of, of Achaia to Christ. Now, what is he saying there? Well, Epinatus, uh, he says, my beloved, that means he's my friend, my good friend Epinatus. And what we find out is that that he's the first guy in Asia Minor. That's where Corinth was. Uh, in Asia Minor, he's the first guy to trust Jesus Christ as his Savior. Paul is is just like he is a uh, he is like the first generation Christian taking the message everywhere he goes. He's plowing the way, and that's exactly what he does. And Epinatus is the very first one to put his trust in Jesus Christ there. And Paul remembers him, and he says, "Greet my friend, Epinatus." You, you never forget a person who you're able to, to share the gospel of Christ and it changes their lives. And that's exactly what happens here. And then he mentions, greet Mary, who labored much for us. There are six women in the New Testament that are named Mary. We have no clue who this one is. If she's one of those, we, we really don't know. All we know is it says that she was she worked hard for them. She worked hard for the church. That's interesting. Later, we'll see that, that this is one of the descriptions of some of the women in the church is that they worked hard. They were hard workers. Verse seven, he says, greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the, the apostles who also were in Christ before me. So Paul tells us four things about these these people here. First, there is relatives. Probably just the simple, they're probably just Jewish, maybe from the tribe of Benjamin, and maybe that's why he says this. Secondly, they had been in prison with Paul at some point. We don't know where, we don't know when or how. All we know is he calls them fellow prisoners. Maybe that's where they met. We don't know. 
Thirdly, they are outstanding among the apostles, and we'll talk about that in a second. But fourthly, they became Christians before the apostle Paul put his faith in Christ. So they must have been believers in the earliest days of the infant church in Jerusalem. So they're one of the very first people to, to, to trust Christ. Now, let's, let's go back to this phrase, outstanding among the apostles, because it's very ambiguous. And, and actually, it could mean, just, just like we read it today, it could mean that they were apostles who were outstanding, or it could mean that the apostles considered them to be outstanding. Okay, so it could be either that they are apostles or that the apostles looked at them and said they're outstanding. I mean, they're outstanding either, either way that it is. So the first understanding, Paul could be using apostle maybe in a less strict sense, meaning that they were sent ones. To be an apostle means that you're sent one. So a church, they could take a person, they could send them from one area to another church or send them on a mission or send whatever. But if they were sent out, they would often call them apostles. So they were an apostle, meaning that they were sent officially by a, a church. That could be the case here for them. We, we really don't know. Um, but what we do know is that there are only 12 official apostles. Okay, so there were 12 disciples. There are 12 official apostles that were designated by Christ himself. The, the early church, we find out one, some of the, recommend, or the, uh, the requirements to be an apostle is that you had to uh, be there in the beginning when Jesus was teaching, and you also had to see the resurrected Christ. These are the criteria for this. Now, Paul mentions, he says, I was an apostle. I'm an apostle, but I'm one like born out of due time, because what happens is, is that Jesus shows up to him on the road when he is blinded, and Jesus says, Paul, Paul, why, or Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who am I persecuting? And he says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one who you're persecuting. And he goes, oh, no. <laughs> right. And then Jesus, he turns his name from Saul to Paul. Um, so Paul is an apostle. He's the last of all the, the 12 apostles. So these two are not apostles in that sense. Um, so it could mean either one of those things. Here's the interesting part, though. Andronicus is a male name. But we don't know whether Junia is a male name or a female name. If you look in your own text, it might mention that, you know, a male or female may have a note about that. But, but, but here's the deal. So either it's two male friends who are together who are partners, or this is a husband and wife. And this is where this means something. Let me read just a Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll note about this. After I take a little water. Swindoll writes this, he says, This passage is important to some who use this verse to establish female leadership in the early church. If the two were apostle and Junius was female, then the implications are obvious. However, the debate is moot if Junius was male. Unfortunately, the passage is not clear enough to help to be helpful in theology. Junius could have been either male or female, and there's compelling evidence pointing in both directions. So we're we're much better to read this as it was intended as a heartfelt greeting from Paul to two people who shared some of his most difficult ordeals and most joyous victories in ministry. So it's probably best not to try to hang an entire doctrine on, on a verse that doesn't really have a clear context. And that's, I think that Swindoll lands on the right side of things here. So in verse 8, he continues. He says, greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. In the earliest of the, of the Christian catacombs, the catacombs are the, the tombs or the underground tunnels 
Um, there's the cemetery of Domitillo. And I'm not even sure if I'm saying that's right. Uh, but there's an elaborate tomb with the name um, Ampliatus on it. And the fact that there's just a single name, what it implies is that he was a slave because freedmen, they had more than one name. Uh, we, we all know that most of us here, we have two names, a first name and a last name, and maybe one or more middle names or whatever. Well, it's just Ampliatus. That's, that's all you, you get there. But this tomb is very ornate. So what it implies is that he's an important person in the church. And, and this is something that we, we kind of note in the Roman church. There are no distinctions whether you're slave or free, whether you're male or female, whether you're high rank or you're, you know, of low society. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you're in Christ, because if you're a believer, we call each other brother. We call each other sister. We're family. We're part of the family of God. Paul continues, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and, and Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. So it's interesting here, Aristobulus is, is probably the grandson of Herod the Great, or the, the brother of Herod Agrippa. So, so Herod, this is the line of the king who persecuted Jesus Christ as a baby. Christmas time, um, Bethlehem, uh, you know, the three wise men, that whole story, that whole thing that Herod is the one who said we need to put to death all of those children two years and younger. And so this is possibly the grandson. He's, he's the, the brother of Herod Agrippa the first, and he lived as a private citizen in Rome and he was a friend of Claudius. Paul doesn't greet him. He greets those who are of Aristobulus, or, or you might say of the household of Aristobulus. And so the idea here is that there were Jewish slaves who belonged to this household and they became Christians. And, and so this makes sense that, that here Christianity makes its way into the, the whole household and, and sort of the, uh, the, the lineage or, or whoever is involved in serving Herod and that line, because the very next word, the very next mention is Herodian. He says, greet Herodian, my countrymen. So Herodian would be named that because he's a, fa he's a family member of the line of Herod. And Paul says, greet Herodian, my countrymen. Basically, the idea that he's, he's Jewish, but, but, but also the fact that here you have Paul, follower of Jesus, and Herodian a descendant of the one who persecuted Jesus, both brothers in Christ here, which I think is wonderful. It's fabulous. He says, greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Narcissus was, um, was a wealthy man, and he had a lot of influence under the emperor Tiberius, but he was put to death uh, by Nero's mother, Agrippina, when, when Nero came to, to power. And so we're talking about the, the, the household uh, of this or those people who are of Narcissus. The slaves of this house were known by the name uh, Narcissani. And so his greeting is among the Christians, among the Narcissani, the people who were the slaves of this, this household. And they had become believers in, in Jesus Christ. So, again, you look at this. It doesn't matter how high you are, how much money, how much power you have. Or, or if you have no power, you have no money, no wealth, no influence. It doesn't matter. He's greeting everybody in the name of Christ. 
Verse 12, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, probably sisters, and some people think maybe they're twins, who knows, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Persis is just simply meaning a Persian woman. So the idea that this is where she's from, she was named of that, so Persian woman. But, but so far, what we see here is Paul has singled out four women in his letter, thinks highly of each one, and notes them as working hard for the Lord. Nobody else receives this, this title or this anecdote or, or this accolade. Just these four women. And then he says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, his mother and mine. When I was in the Air Force, I was walking along uh, the, the, this big paved lot, 100 degree temperature outside. As I'm walking to go into um, my, my shop early that morning, 9 o'clock, I mean, it's just super hot. I look down and there's this little baby squirrel. And, and uh, it, it's just kind of looking at me, it's kind of like uh, days because it's been baking. And I don't know, who knows how this got there. So I got this baby squirrel, put it in a box, started taking care of it. You guys are wondering, why are we talking about a baby squirrel here? It's because it's going to help you remember something. And so I, 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 I had it and I started taking care of it and nursed it back to health. I knew a crazy girl who took care of flying squirrels. And so I brought it over there and she says, what's his name? So I had to come up with a name. Rufus. Rufus. Yeah. Every time I read this, I think about the the baby squirrel that that we saved. Greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord, his mother and mine. Rufus, Paul's friendship is quite an amazing story. If you if you look at Mark 15, this is uh, this is the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus is now being led. He's been he's been whipped. He's been scourged. He's got the crown of thorns and he's taking the top member of. So we see the cross and lots of times in 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 the the stories in the movies, you see this whole cross where he's kind of dragging and he's pulling. There's this long beam there and there's beam here. Usually what it was, it was just the top beam. Because the the other beam was usually sitting right in in the ground. And so he's, he's carrying this beam and he's got the loss of blood and all this and he falls down and he can't carry it anymore. And it says, and when they had mocked him, they they took the purple off him. They put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. And then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus. As he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Simon gets picked out. Why? I don't know. It could be because he's Cyrenian that he had dark skin. And so maybe he's picked out because of that. And so they pick out Simon. And this is interesting because Mark, he wrote after Paul wrote the book of Romans. So the book of Romans is out a little bit before the book of Mark is out when, when Mark did this. So Mark, most likely, um, when he mentions the name Simon the Cyrene, he's thinking, well, there are many people who don't know Simon. But they know Rufus. And he says, Simon the Cyrene. And he says, you know, the father of Alexander and Rufus, that's the guy. And then this is the story. Simon is pulled in to carry the crossbeam for Jesus. And it says, um, you know, that, that he does this. And so I wonder what this was like. Paul must have known his family well, sitting down, talking, listening to the story. And he knows them so well that he calls the mother of Rufus his own mother. You guys ever had that experience? 
That, that because you are so close with somebody else, and, and, and it's, you're not a relative, but because you've spent so much time with them, that you, know, you, you call him dad. Or you, go, you call him mom. And so you're on the phone, and, and they, you're on the phone, and they, hey mom, how are you doing? It's not your mother. But you call him that. Why? Because you're so close. This is what Paul is saying. He's calling her mom. That, that he spent much time with Rufus and Rufus's mother. And there they are. They're in Rome, uh, of all places, a part of the early church. What, what, a wonderful, what a wonderful story. And then Paul mentions two groups. And I don't know, they're probably businessmen, um, perhaps. Um, greet Asyncritus. Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. So this is just a group of people with a bunch of others. And I don't know if this is just sort of like, you know, sometimes churches you have like groups of people that get along well together. And, and this may be one of them. He says, greet um, Philologos and Julia, Nereus, his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. It's funny, I picked this and I didn't think about like standing up here and reading all these names out loud to all of you. You guys ever get picked to like read scripture and it's like just a list of names and you're like, oh, great. I get to read all these names to people. Well, historically in in, um, AD 95, there were two, the two most distinguished people in Rome uh, who were condemned for being Christians were Flavia, Flavius Clemens and then his wife, uh, Domitilla. I think I'm saying her name right. Um, she's the one who basically the, the catacomb cemetery is named after her. Well, Flavius was executed and, and Domitilla was, was banished on the island of Pontia. She was actually the, the niece of the reigning um, emperor uh, Domitian. And so rather than kill her, um, he sends her away, banishes her to, to an island. But their personal steward, the one that handled all their finances, that handled all the, the businesses within and without their, their, um, um, their household, um, you know, their name, everything. The person who was their, their steward, his name was Nereus. And Paul says, greet Nereus. And his sister. Again, you've got the wealthy, you've got the famous, you've got the slaves, different ethnicities, men and women. Paul speaks well of them, them all, and he wants all the world to read it. When, when you read through this, you read just a list of names and, oh, OK, I look at all these names and it doesn't really mean anything to you. But see, here's the thing. Have you ever caught a friend talking about you? You catch a friend talking about you behind your back and saying something really nice about you. And, you you know, they didn't know you were there. They didn't know that you overheard. But it makes you appreciate that friend, doesn't it? You're like, wow, they, they said that about me. See, a true friend is a person who always lifts you up. They never let you down. Here's Paul talking about people. Here we are, centuries later, we're reading about these people, we don't know them, and yet they're his friends, and he's speaking highly of them. And this is something that we ought to be as a church. And then, and then he ends, we're going to end here today, greet one another with a holy kiss. So let's go ahead and do that. <laughs> right. The churches of Christ greet you. 
Today, uh, we've been kind of relegated to the holy fist bump at times. Um, you know why Paul tr- try? You know why Paul told them that to greet one another with a holy kiss? He does it in other places. He does it at the end of the letter to the Corinthians. He does it. So this is not like an unknown thing. Here's the thing. You can walk around this room and you can pretty much shake hands with anybody. You, you can do that. But there's no way that, that you're like going to just go kiss the person that you like don't know or barely know. You're not going to just go walk up to somebody, you know, in the marketplace. Hey, you know, can I buy those waffles? <laughs> you, 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 know, you just don't you don't do that. Right. They call the cops. You know, it's a problem. But also, here's this. You're even less likely to kiss somebody that you don't respect. Paul is commanding us as a church to keep our relationships close with one another. He's commanding us to be near and dear. We live in a day of instant messaging and loneliness that is just through the roof. We, we can communicate quickly, email, you name it, all the different ways that we can do it. And yet Paul commands, I want you to make meaningful connections. I want you to greet one another. We have our meet and greet time. And yeah, you know, we've got some people who they absolutely hate it. They call it the awkward hour. But I just tell them I'm being biblical right here. I could command you to greet people with a holy kiss. And I'm not doing that. Right. But we're called to receive brothers and sisters in Christ. um, And it's more relevant than ever today. So, all right, what do we glean from from this list of names? Um, Paul's letters, they're they're known for his his theological depth, for his, his intellect, his intellect. But he's also he's deeply concerned about people. Relationships are really important to him. And so in the same way, God pours out his love. He demonstrates his love to us and what Jesus did for us. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. We sang about this earlier today. Our our love is, is meant to not be hypocritical. It's meant to be genuine. We've got to learn to love people in the same way that Jesus loved us to demonstrate his love. So so here's just a, a quick question. Do you value people above all else? What are the things that you value most in life? Is it your personal time? Is it the things that you own, the things that you're involved in? Or do you, involve, do you value people above all else? So what do, you see, what do you do when you see a hurting person? What do you do when you see a person who needs a friend? Or somebody who might be different, might be awkward talking with them? What if they're not like you? You're old and they're young. You're young and they're old. You're married, they're single. You're single, they're married. They have kids, you don't have kids. Paul could have told a story about every one of these people that that, that he mentioned. He doesn't have room. All he does is he briefly acknowledges them. He greets them. He wants them to know neither distance nor time has diminished his love for them. The fact that he's willing to... He's never even been to Rome. And he counts off 26 people that he loves. Do we love people like that? So so the question is, as a church, how are we doing? Uh, Do you receive people openly? 
Or I'm just I'm just private. That's just the way that I am. I don't do that. You receive people the way that Paul told the church in Rome to receive Phoebe. I think one of the problems in the Northeast, and I think all of you know this, and I don't know why it is. I, I like to blame it maybe on our gloomy skies or the cold weather or, or whatever it is. But, but I think many people, um, they, they kind of have these closed relationships. It's actually very difficult to get in. I know this. I've been here for around 18 years. As my early days as a pastor, it was very difficult to get into relationships. Because I wasn't born here. I didn't have family here. Families all have families. They all have friends. It's a small town kind of a thing. That's, that's just what happens. But I would say that out of all, all places I've ever lived, the people in the north, they tend to be colder in responsiveness to people than they are in the south. When I go to, you know, greet, you know, the hockey guys over at the hockey chapel, I, I see people and I'm walking along the way and I'm like, hey, how are you doing? And they just look at me like, who are you? Right? And then I get to some of these hockey guys, they're from all over the place and they're just so friendly and it's really great to see them. And then I leave and I see somebody walking on the street and I'm like, hey, and they're like, they don't even say hello. You go down south and you say hello and they're like, howdy, you know? Whatever. But they're very friendly. That shouldn't define us as a church. The place where we live, yeah, we, we, we have our own uniqueness here. But as a group of followers of Jesus Christ, who are called to greet one another with a holy kiss, right? This doesn't define us as a church of, of what the rest of our culture around says this, okay? I know you guys, I mentioned this holy kiss thing. I know it sounds creepy, especially for those of you that are just afraid of germs. But what it means is acceptance. That you love. Just immediately. It's unearned. Somebody who, who is also a follower of Christ, you learn that about them, you hear who they are, and you say, you know what, this is my brother, this is my, this is my sister. Um, on February 11th, 2023, I got a letter from a 22-year-old man named Samuel, living in Goa, India, out of the blue. Explains, I've been accepted to the BU master's program, mechanical engineering, and I'm going to be moving here in, in August. So he's excited. This is February. It's going to be August. And he says, I've looked at the churches online in the area and came across our website. I began watching the services. And, I, and he even said in one of the emails, I feel like I begin to know you guys. I see some of you up there. Oh, I know. Oh, that's Josh. He always says the same thing every time he gets up there. <laughs> Well, that's Kyle. He does the same thing, right? And he knows the people. He gets to know them. And he says, I was looking for churches. I came. He says, I love the church. I love what you stand in doctrine. It feels a lot like my church at home. And then he told me about his story, how he's, he's raised in a Christian home. But four years earlier, four years, probably what, 2018, for some reason, God really got a hold of him and he began to live for him in a way that he never has before. And he just loves the Lord and he wants to serve him. And he says, you know, here, here we've never met. And he's telling me his testimony, his hobbies. He likes playing bass. He likes playing guitar. And he says, I just hope that I can use my gifts for the, for the kingdom of God. 
And he ended his letter in this way. He says this. He says, I was really thrilled to find a church like Grace Point Church because even though I'm going to be studying at Binghamton University, having a Christian fellowship around is so very important to me. I look forward to being a part of your Sunday services when I come to Binghamton this August. But in the meantime, I really hope I can stay in touch and get to know some of you guys in whatever way I can. God bless Samuel. And I thought, what an interesting letter. So I wrote Samuel back and I said, who are you and why are you telling me so much? Why don't you just mind your own business? No. I was thrilled to write him, and I'm like, wow, is this guy really going to come? And I'm finding out more about him, and, and I said, I look forward to meeting you when you get here. Hey, Samuel. You, you know, there, there's something that happens when you find other Christians who are excited to grow in community, and they're ready to reach out. And so, Samuel, we had a few letters. He says, hey, let me know if you have any place to live, because I'm looking for a place to live. And I said, if I, let, if I find something, I'll let you know. He ends up, he found a place to live. But then one day in August, I got this other email saying, I'm here. How do I get to the church? And he's been involved ever since. I say this to let you know that this is the kind of, uh, I guess I'd call them spiritual relationships God wants us to build. This really isn't a sermon about how to build a spiritual relationship. It's about that we need to. And I think this is why Paul, at the end of his deepest theological treatise, he ends with just a greeting to those who he loves and he appreciates. And it's a reminder of what the church is meant to be like. We need to be like this. We need to be greeting and loving one another like this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for just these names. Many of these people, they are known only to you. We don't know them. We don't know anything about them. But Paul knew them. And he thought it was important enough to, to write. To, to, to put it in a, a book that would be in a sense, immortalized for all time. That these are people, part of the early church. Thank you for showing us that. I know, Lord, we are not going to be written down in some book that is going to be immortalized. But, Lord, I pray that wherever we are and what we're doing as a church, that, that we would be operating out of the love of Christ toward others. That we wouldn't be closed off thinking, oh, I've got enough relationships, I don't have room for another person to love another person. The truth is we do, because we have the love of Christ in us. And so there's more than enough love for us to give to other people. So help us learn how to do that. Help us learn how to be really contra our culture around us, that we would be warm, we would be receiving, that we would be known as a place of, of welcome, full of an atmosphere of love, because it's an atmosphere of Christ. Thank you for your love for us. And that while we were stiff-arming you, you didn't, you didn't care. You drew us near yourself. Thank you for what you have done for us. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for everyone in this church. And I pray you'd help us to be the kind of church that you can use here in our area. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good to see you, Grace Point. Have a wonderful day. Stay dry and hope to see you again next week.